The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B.J. by Tim LaHaye and Jerry The future has come to pass. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Survived the Rapture. We're that podcast that slogs our way through the Left Behind novel series so you don't have to. I'm your lapsed evangelical Shane Bazell. And I'm your ecumenical fanboy Gavin Russell. All right, so last episode, it got to be me. You, you doing okay there, bud? Dude, I'm burning the candle at both ends. Uh, it's currently tech week for a theater production I'm in, uh, and if you've ever been in theater, tech week is a slog. Yeah, well, I got you here now. Um, I don't even know if I want to say how late at night it is that we're recording this. Um, it's, it's two till midnight. Ah, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to get this episode out. For you. We're doing this for you guys. Yeah, because we love you. Yeah, we love you. Uh, I had a quick little anecdote of something that happened to me over the week. So I had to go to Big Lots just to, you know, get like a toothbrush and toothpaste and some water, you know, like freshen up before uh, doing something later that day. And my total was $6.66. And the cashier <laughs> was just scandalized. She's like, oh, no, that's a that's an unfortunate number. I'm like, yeah, yeah, here, here's my card. Did she have a look of fear in her eyes it, or it, a look of pity? It looked almost, it was a little bit like fear almost, but like slight fear. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> As a small child of 15 years old, used to work at an um, unnamed Christian chicken restaurant. <laughs> um, we would actually have people add to their order if they got $6.66. Oh, yeah, I've heard, like, cashiers, like, that's a common thing. Like, oh, gotta buy a Kit Kat bar real quick yeah, so I don't yeah, yeah, sponsor yeah, yeah. Satan. We'd sell them a small fry or something. It would. It, it was so funny every time because, like, I would look at them and just really want to say, nice. <laughs> <laughs> or, hell yeah. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess whatever you got to do to upcharge them, if you got to, like, give them the mark of the beast or an extra small fry. Yeah, that's true. You got to pump those numbers. Yeah. So, anyway, we are now at part three of The Indwelling, The Beast Takes Possession. Yeah, speaking of the beast. When last we left off, we had ourselves a new believer in Hyam Rosenzweig. We had ourselves an imminent, very rocky plane landing. But we don't start there. So we're going to start with chapter 14. Um, and at the beginning of chapter 14, we get a call from Ming Toy. So Ming, she's kind of filling a role as another GC insider, and she has a particular relationship and rapport with Leah. So Leah is who she calls. Mm -hmm. And she calls her basically to let her know kind of what's going on around the funeral, specifically her parents and her brother are going to be attending. Mm -hmm. Now, she mentions that her parents and her brother are not believers. This is something that I think we saw earlier with the Tuttles. Yeah. That their kids were believers and the parents were not. Um, we're going to get to see Ming's family a little bit later. But her brother is also going to become a pretty major character 
going forward. I don't want to spoil too much of that because we're going to get into his story a little bit more in the next book and then the subsequent books. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that millions and millions of people are going to be attending. So the attendance of the funeral is going to dwarf that of the gala. So we've gone from having a ton of people in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. to having that times 10 or 12 in New Babylon. So it's an insane amount of people, which logistically they try to talk about that later about how they're handling it. And given what they say about the GC personnel's competence, I don't think they're really going to be able to handle that, but it's, it's silly. But what we find out from Ming as they close out this section is that Buck's family have definitely become believers. Yeah, when they found their home burned and the bodies, um, they, they've found out there's some evidence there that they became believers at like the last minutes because they were... Uh, at a church type meeting. You're right. They do leave it a little ambiguous. We get it confirmed, uh, spoilers, a little bit later. But yeah, Ming says, yeah, they didn't find him initially because they were at church, but they are definitely dead. They've been murdered much in the same way that Hyam's house staff was murdered. One of the things that starts happening as this book draws to a close is that net that the GC has wrapped around the tribulation force is getting tighter and tighter. They are very, very close to being found out. Yes. Uh, we cut back to our top gun scene where they're in the air and uh, they're very low on fuel at this point. They're trying to land yeah. at the airport, I think in Ptolemaeus. So in Greece, they're doing that Greece stopover before they fly to the States. Yes. And as we learned last week, they're missing a landing gear. Things aren't looking good. They're low on fuel, but they have a lifeline. We have a returning character. So they have a guy who has lined them up a new plane as long as they can make this landing. And that guy is good old Albie. Albie's back. Yeah. So Albie's back. The black marketeer from Soul Harvest and from Assassins has come back. So we hear from T that he's really confident about the landing. Everything seems like it's fine. He's like, why don't you guys go ahead and go get buckled in in the back? This is going to be bumpy. Then things go from bad to worse yeah. because they're out of fuel. Yeah, I said he's confident right up until the moment that that fuel gauge goes pew, and all the lights in the plane shut off. Everything shuts off. It's real bad, and then they can't even bring the wheels up. So this is going to complicate the landing because they are experiencing a different amount of drag from the landing gears being down, um, so they can't make that semi-smooth belly landing like they're supposed to. Literally ends this section with a countdown so, you know, the danger is imminent. A thousand and falling. Nine hundred, eight hundred, seven, six, four, three, two. Doop. And then next scene. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and get this out of here right off the top. I was very annoyed with how much intercutting there is in this. I think this is the most intercutting that we have had in any of these books so far. I think Jerry sort of tries this i can't remember if it continues through the rest of the books but it's almost like he was watching a lot of tv yeah at the time like he's watching a lot of like ncis or whatever like i have i want to know what he's been watching around there maybe jag (laughs) seems like a guy who'd watch jag i I half expect like um with so much of this cutting that like just want like after one scene we just get like an ad for something yeah 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 (laughs) it's he's doing the commercial break style pacing and it really bugged the shit out of me because I'm trying to make notes and I'm trying to like decide what's relevant to leave in. So there are whole sections that might be like a paragraph long that we just don't talk about because they don't move the story forward. They don't really matter. And I'm going to talk about one of them right now, just as an example, it cuts away to Zion for like one paragraph. And I think he's just like, it's just, yeah, he's just taking care of Kenny and like watching TV. That's it. 
Yep, just cut away, just cuz. Like, yeah. there's no reason to cut to him, but they do. And then we get cut over to David and Gee. Can you read any of David and Gee's dialogue there? Let's see. Oh, yeah. Because they're basically just being catty back and forth. Again, doesn't really move the plot along. Yeah. I'd like to see the position of the statue when you're ready. Now, I, I say when you're ready, the regular schedule will be fine. You're asking permission. I'm just saying I'd like to watch. Is there a problem with that? I don't need my hand held. Believe me, guy. I don't want to hold your hand. Procol demands you not refer to me by my first name. Sorry, blood. It's blood, and my last name isn't appropriate either. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So and they, then they more... start kind of just going back and forth with each other. The only reason I even wrote this down is because Jerry is getting to the point of being so cartoonish with Gee that it almost makes me think like he had an art teacher that like really pissed him off at one yeah. point. You know, maybe he was in college. I don't know. Like he had to do a sculpture project or something. I just couldn't stand the professor because Gee is just the worst. <laughs> These dang liberal Christians at Moody. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that someone in the kind of evangelical Illuminati has said those exact words. <laughs> Just being like, I, we don't like any college people, even Christian college people. <laughs> if you're at a university, I don't care. I don't care if it's Berkeley or Oral Roberts. They're all liberals. <laughs> college rots your brain, takes you away from God. College boy. <laughs> So we're back to the actual plot. We're back with Buck and T and Zion on the plane. And Buck, tell he says a prayer here that is just so abrupt, I think would be the right word. It just seems like such an American it, prayer. It, 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 not only that, it seems like he's doing like an anime, like JoJo-esque, like stand. I'm like, God, do your thing through T. Yeah, silly. I mean, and I've, I've heard that, you know, God work through this person, that kind of thing. But to specifically say, God, do your thing. Do, do the God thing real quick, please. Yeah, it, and it's such a 90s phrase, too. Like, do your thing. Like, it's just so stupid. It's really bad, and it kind of undercuts a little bit of the tension here. Buck and Hyam start to duck and cover. The plane barely misses the runway fence, and it hits that runway, starts spinning, rips in half. So I think this is the worst landing, the worst plane moment we have had so far i mean maybe other than in soul harvest but that was off screen that's that, true yeah. it was off screen so yeah this is probably the most harrowing plane moment we've had we've had people getting chased to planes shot at getting into planes falling out of planes but i think a plane smashing into a runway and ripping in half might be the worst plane moment in these plane books then we get uh david is kind of having like because you know how in the previous um i think it's, it's it was in this book right how we had the section where Bo commits suicide because rayford wasn't like nice I to think, him. think it was in this book yeah um and i think that but i mean it was set up in the previous one it was yeah. set up in assassins gotcha so david's like man maybe like me being mean to Guy blood isn't productive so i should probably do something about that yeah i mean and it almost seems like jerry was writing this and like had him going back and forth and then realized immediately that he was wrong to have this happen and then just wrote that in i need to be nice to the liberals yeah gotta be nice to the liberals or they won't come to jesus which is kind of similar to what they did to uh, verna way mm -hmm. back in the day like they were real mean to her and then they decided to be nice to her because they might be able to witness to her 
There's the, the, like, the one thing I'll say about, like, this book in particular, when they're not doing cool stuff that's new, they are just recycling vignettes just with different characters. Yeah, and there's something to be said for the evangelical preacher model. You've heard me say yeah, that yeah, on the yeah. show before. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. Even though these books, I can't really call them witnessing tools. They're not really reaching out to anybody. They are for people who are already inside the faith. Mm-hmm. The reason why these people were kind of going to church on Sunday outside of like social obligations and stuff is that a lot of times they are getting lessons edified. You hear a lot about Christian edification. So hearing the same doctrine over and over and the same life lessons over and over is a very church thing. Yes. So I can see considering the audience why they would do this. Doesn't make for exactly, you know, engaging text, you know? (laughs) So we're back to the runway. Buck has lost consciousness, but shortly regains it after crash landing. It kind of reminds me of like every scene you see in like everything from video games to movies of like the ears are ringing, the vision's blurry in first person, you know, and he's hearing the fire crew rushing to the plane and like he doesn't know what's going on. Checks on Hyam. Um, Hyam is bleeding uh, into his shoes. So he's hunched over and blood is just pouring out of his mouth uh, into his shoes, but he is alive. And then Buck takes off to look for T because he's now got to unstrap himself from one half of the plane, run across the runway to another half. He is also screwed up. He talks about feeling like soft tissue give way as they experience this massive impact onto the runway. Mm -hmm. So Buck is running on pure adrenaline. This is an actually pretty rough scene because he's running to the other part of the plane and he gets there and T is dead. Yeah, no one's working on T and he uh, uh, and he's like, he's not sure if this is good or bad because if no one's working on him, maybe he's still alive. But then he hears someone call for a body bag. Yeah, he knows. Yeah. Say so as soon as as soon as you see that the medics aren't attending to someone in a plane crash, that, eh, you know, pour another one out, boys. Yeah, we lost another one. I don't know if I want to call attention to the fact that now both of the black characters have been offed. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't do it intentionally. No, I don't think they did it intentionally. Man, that's one of the oldest tropes in the book, though. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, God. And it, and it's not that they died first. The actual first person to die in these books was Bruce. His ethnicity is never mentioned, except he is played by a black guy in the movie. Yeah. So that trope is still in effect, mm-hmm. kind of, if you count the movie canon. But anyway, there is something interesting that Buck says here, and I don't know if you caught it. And I wrote it in my notes. I said, I'll see you at the Eastern Gate is the last thing he tells T. I highlighted that, but I don't know, like, exactly what it means. Okay, so I'll see you at the Eastern Gate. And Wait, hold on, let me, does it have to do something with, like, the prophecy that they have to go through, like, a gate in, like, Jerusalem? You're close. Because I think they talked about it in a way earlier book. Yeah, I think you're referring to the gate that was walled off to prevent the Messiah from entering Jerusalem at at a certain point, it's close. So the eastern gate of Jerusalem is the one that is closest to the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus is said to return. That's where his feet will touch. Ah. When it says, I'll see you at the eastern gate, it has two meanings. Okay. So one meaning is that I will see you when Jesus returns, and we will all be waiting for you there at that gate in Jerusalem, like literally physically. The second one is 
that when Jesus comes back, he will bring a new heaven and a new earth and specifically a new Jerusalem into existence. Ah. Basically, the actual return of Christ will reset the source code of the universe. To recreate Eden almost. Yes. Okay. And uh, for any of you who have actually read to the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, it's that. Get Uh to the end of read the last battle. It's that. We're not a Narnia podcast, but any of you who whose ears perked up at that mention, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I was actually thinking about Last Battle this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird one. So, but if you were a Christian kid who was interested in eschatology, Last Battle is a big one. Yeah. So from there, after that tragic moment, we cut back to Ray for a second. He's waiting in the dark to explore Chicago. He's kind of going back and forth with David. And this is one of the moments where I was like, there's too much intercutting that goes nowhere. Yeah. And I know that it's supposed to be for like tension or pacing, but like it does nothing for either of those things. It hurts them actually. Yeah. Like, cause like I'm really invested into like a scene and then all of a sudden they cut back to something that either I don't care about or like I care about much less than the current action. Yeah, exactly. Then we close out with David apologizing to Guy, which I'm going to go ahead and say, sorry, kind of goes nowhere. Yeah. If anything, it only serves to put David in a specific position so that he can witness something later in the book. But it's barely even that. Gotcha. Uh, So we go back to Buck gets waken up by the gray beards from Skyrim. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he wakes up to these uh, these men praying around him. He wakes up in an infirmary um, and the people who are praying around him happen to be Laszlo's and Demetrius. Mm -hmm. So we find out an update on Hyam. He is alive. His jaw was broken and he is currently being operated on. So he's okay. Yeah, nothing nothing Hyam can't recover from. Right, exactly. Yeah, he recovered from a stroke after all, didn't he? (laughs) Laszlos being another utility character, we're going to get to see some more Laszlos later. Um, some more Greek church stuff, some more Demetrius stuff. That's going to come in subsequent books. But for now, much like Zeke, more utility here because they do, just like Zeke, give Hyam a new ID and a new name, and they fit them with a charter flight through Albie. Mm-hmm. And we learned something about Albie. What's going on now? Uh, well, Albie uh, has converted since the last time he saw him. He has the mark of, uh, of the lamb on him. It was very recent, and it wasn't anything dramatic or anything. He just kind of like, well, I uh, considered the writings of Dr. Ben-Judah, and that you know what? They made sense to me, so I did the thing, and boop, here we are. And it's going to mention this later, but I'm going to say it now. This is happening all over the place. Yeah. The whole world takes sides thing from, like, three books ago. Yeah is really coming into effect. People are actually just falling to their knees all over the world when they see this stuff happen. They're going, oh, the Benjuda guy was right. Yeah. All right, well, cool. I guess I'm a Christian now. And then, got your mark. Exactly. So we really are dividing the world up into believers and non in a very, very stark way now. This is setting up more of the action that is going to take us through the latter half of the series. They do say something here. That is something that I know I heard throughout my childhood and adolescence. I know you probably heard. Oh, yeah, definitely. Do you want to read that quote real quick? Yeah, um, let's see. Nothing dramatic, I'm afraid. I've always been religious, but Rayford and Mac and Abdullah all urged me to at least consider the writings of Dr. Ben-Judah. Finally, I did. You know what reached me? His assessment of the difference between religion and Christianity. I know it well, Buck said. If you're referring to his connection that religion is man's attempt to reach God, while Jesus is God's attempt to reach man. 
There it is. Oh, it's not a religion, boys. It's a relationship. There's another one for you. Like when I was in high school or middle school, there was like this Christian slam poetry guy that did like, like you know, we're not here for the religion. We're here for the relationship thing. So yeah, can't remember his name at the top of my head. What do you think about that? I, on the one hand. I know, because if you're if someone's trying to escape like the dogma of like a religious institution, I can see why that would be appealing and why that would be something that you'd want to do. But at the same time, it's it seems a little bit like a falsehood or like a facade. Because, it's marketing. Yeah, it's marketing. Like you're, it's still a religion. You're just putting a new coat of paint on it and be like, no, 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 this is new. I can tell you that it's marketing um, because I have had conversations specifically in the Abrahamic religions with devoted Jews and Muslims who have described their relationship to God in the same way. Really? It is not exclusive to Christianity. Despite how they might protest, Christianity does not have a monopoly on this. So I can I can give you evidence to the contrary. That is marketing. No one wants them to be like, because like, if she's like, hey, you want to join my religion? A lot of people are like, uh, no, I'm not trying to get into that. But if you brand it another way, where it doesn't look like a religion to begin with, like, oh, yeah, this is just, like, uh, something that you can have into, like, a lifestyle kind of choice, I guess. I don't know. Which is branding. I yeah. mean, lifestyle lifestyle brands are a thing, so this is a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a sales pitch. It's a sales line. It's a tagline. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And it's like, not delivery. It's, it's DiGiorno's. <laughs> you pulled it right out of my head. I think we got our title drop. it's not religion it's DiGiorno's (laughs) so Albie opts to return to America with Buck and Hyam to help out the force so he is going to be going from Greece to America with them and also being their pilot Um, and then Chloe calls Buck and begs him to get home ASAP and she tells him about his family did you notice something about how Buck reacts to the death of his family versus uh, maybe another major character? Um, <laughs> he doesn't really react much. He takes it in stride. Yeah. Like, we don't have, I guess we don't have narrative bandwidth to have Buck have a mad boy, sad boy episode. Yeah. Like, it, Buck just sort of lets everything roll off of him, and that's, I guess, it, not the role he serves in the story. Yeah, it's no Rayford having an Anakin moment on the beach. Yeah, I, the Steels, uh are very emotional people. Yeah. Is what they're trying to tell us versus the Williamses. <laughs> I would say that uh, Buck has nerves of steel. steel. <laughs> Get out of here. All right. I'll see myself. Out. All right. So um, we go back to Ray. Yeah, and, and, and we get full sad boy. Yeah, I am happy to report. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, sad boy Ray has re-entered the building. <laughs> Oh, God, he has himself a little walkabout in the ruins of downtown Chicago, like he's going to do a little Les Miserables musical number. I walk a lonely road, the only one I have Oh, God, man. Yeah, it was, it is very sad boy Ray. He's like, I used to walk down this street, probably got coffee over there, and now it's all rubble. I miss both my wives. Oh, God. Can we talk about that for a second? Because yeah, he's, he's, oh, he's kind of counting fair. his blessings, right? Like he's doing that thing where you're supposed to like go through your head and like count your blessings. That's another Christian thing, but not just, again, Christianity has a monopoly on this, but mm-hmm. he's kind of going through, he's like, he's like, but I've lost so much, including two wives. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, after I was like, yes, you, yes, you have <laughs> elder steel. <laughs> and after, after he, he even says like, including two wives, he's just like, but I don't want to think anything else past that. 
Yeah, so but, like the wives is the stopping point. Oh my god, they leave them off with the two wives thing, and it is just very funny. And I know that it seems weird, not given the context that we are laughing at this, because it's like, yeah, people get remarried all the time. Yeah, but their first wife didn't die. <laughs> I want to make it clear, Irene didn't die. So that just opens a whole can of like doctrinal and theological worms for this character. Mm -hmm. She's alive and looking down from heaven and he knows that it's only going to be a few years and he got remarried anyway. <laughs> What's that conversation in heaven going to be like? And what Christians would tell you is that there wouldn't be that kind of conversation. You don't you don't worry about that stuff. You're in yeah, heaven. The, man. Yeah, you'll be like, like the angels in heaven. I you're going to be you're like. going to be praising at the throne of God and whatever. You, they're not because we're going to get to kingdom come and see what Jerry and Tim think they're going to be doing. And it's not circled around the throne of God praising forever and ever, but it is just still so weird that no one really talks about the fact that like, nah, your wife didn't die, dude. She was raptured. I don't even know if we talked about the fact that Amanda's husband was raptured too. Yeah. So, so Irene well, and raptured. like, he was raptured, right? He didn't just yeah, die. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I think he was raptured too. So you just got Irene and Amanda and yeah, Irene and Mr. White just up there like, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just weird. I'm, I'm sorry. I keep getting hung up on this. It's just so bizarre. And I guess it's bizarre to me because I look at how a lot of Christians in the, you know, especially in the evangelical world view things like divorce and infidelity. And like, I would love to hit them with this. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of along the same lines as like the, uh, you need to marry your brother's wife if he dies thing. Mm. You know, it's also in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look that one up. If you haven't. Wrapping this part up, they finally make it to the strong building. They're not going to stick around, but they've made it, and they're going to try to get in. Um, so David's watching Guy and his crew put the finishing touches on the Nikolai statue, and he refers to them as blind, lost, misled minions. And that is so telling that that is how Christians view other people in the world. It's a little bit of a mask slip. Yeah. You know, because they're like, oh, man, we have to love everybody, and everybody's a child of God, and yada, yada, yada. No, a lot of evangelicals just think they're better than you. Yeah. Like, it's, no, you're blind, you're lost, you don't know the true way. It, David says this with a degree of derision. Yeah. You know? And uh, David then, uh, he gets invited by Guy to get on the motorized scaffold and get the full view of this thing. He wasn't really wanting to do it, but as you know what, he's like, all right, I got to keep the mask up. I got to like be, oh yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I get a VIP look at this statue. So, so here's the question. And I think I already know the answer. Um, on the way up, is he getting crack or crotch? Um, I think he's getting crotch. I think he's getting crotch. Yeah. yeah. Ah, natural. <laughs> <laughs> just riding on up there. Just do, 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 do. <laughs> and so he gets up there and uh so the flame is already going inside the statue which yeah. this is another thing at this point i know that the whole world is traumatized yeah. i i can only believe that the world is going so on its ear at this point because everybody's got ptsd and they are just looking for a father figure yeah but the building the giant burning statue to the dead world king man is still a little bit of a bridge too far. And some people will be like, come on, like, wait a minute. Are we really doing this? <laughs> it looks like a bad guy statue. It has a fire in it and smoke comes out of his mouth. Like this is like Dr. Doom level stuff. Come on. Yeah. Uh, it's even worse when we find out 
They're feeding they're, Bibles through the mouth. They're feeding Bibles and they're burning Bibles to make the flames. Like, it, they say holy books. They don't yeah. say Bibles specifically, but it's Bibles. Yeah, you know, they, they probably put some Qurans in there, some Bibles, some Torahs, some Bhagavad Gitas, everything. I, but it's, look, let's be real. It's mostly Bibles. Yeah. And uh, I, I want you to listen to me very closely when I tell you that the level of, like, Christian triggering blasphemy stuff that's going to happen in these books only gets worse from here. Yeah, we, we got a literal Fahrenheit 451, like, burning book statue now. And it's funny because I didn't even think of Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Because it seemed less of a, like, we have to get rid of these Bibles and more of a, well, won't be needing these anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and they even say, like, we have an unlimited supply of them because Pontifex Maximus, before he died, had, like, shipped from Rome all of the holy texts that had been confiscated and donated from various world religions. So it's kind of a Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because they already confiscated them, so now they're getting rid of them. Right. So we have a weird moment, and this is calling back to a little bit of the weirdness that we got out of Apollyon that was a little absent from Assassins. It wasn't It wasn't really there. Assassins was our Tom Clancy thriller. I liked this moment. Okay. This really did it for me, and there's a few of these throughout the rest of the book that I really dug. So David's up on the scaffold, and he's kind of taking a look around. He's looking around the giant Robert Redford face, and it talks. I shall shed the blood of saints and prophets. Oh, God, that's so... <laughs> so rad. So he hears it talk, and he's the only one who hears it. Yeah. And it's almost like it's whispering to him. And I'm, I'm just, I was so into that in that moment. Like, I've read this book three times, you know, before we've done this. Each time that happened, I was just like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's like, not what you're supposed to be feeling, but I felt it was very cool. <laughs> yeah, and like he even questions, they're like, hey, like, how'd you get a recorder in there? And they're like, what, David? Hey, Seed, you're crazy. There's nothing in there. You need to get checked out. And then Gee Gee even says, this isn't a theme park. <laughs> I kind of agree with Gee there is like, you know, that at least he has the artistic integrity to be like, yeah, I'm not making like a, a Mickey Mouse statue here. That's like, <laughs> I don't want giant talking action figures. OK, are we all right now? May I have them start moving my big boy into position? How dare you refer to audio animatronics as talking action figures, you Philistine. <laughs> Imagineers are heroes. <laughs> Disney, can you guys sponsor us? Would that be cool? You guys want to do that? You guys are in the Illuminati, right? <laughs> <clears throat> David gets a call while he's up there, and it, he immediately puts the call on hold before he realizes that it's Leon, and he's like, oh, shit, and he switches back. Um, so Leon calls him into his office, and David's like, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then David gets back on the phone with Ray once he hangs up with Leon, because Ray was the other call. There's another mention of the... Oh, natural. <laughs> and apparently when they roll the statue out, the crowd's like, ooh. Ah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's what's like helping them heal from the trauma is just like like half a story of Carpathia. Because this yeah. thing's three stories tall. Just a big old dongus. <laughs> it's his royal dongus. <laughs> um, so on the phone, David confirms to Ray, yeah, you didn't shoot Nikolai, no matter what anybody says. I've seen the evidence. It wasn't you. Ray asks David, like, hey, we're outside the strong building. Can you uh, open it for us from half a world away? And David's like, I'm on it. <laughs> Do it. And he goes back into hacker mode. So, yep, Buck has truly been usurped as hacker man. Yeah, David is top dog in, uh, in their net running crew. 
so skipping ahead just a little bit, um, he heads to Leon's office. Now, this is where we get the logistics stuff. Um, no one is leaving New yeah. Babylon, and more people are just coming in. The people are sleeping in the streets. There's three million people already, and it's growing, which seems ridiculous. Yeah. Like, not that there would be three million people in a city, more that three million people are trying to gather around the palace area, which is insane. And, like, they're having trouble with logistics in this. Like, they're trying to get as many people that can see uh, as possible. So they're, like, dragging out some of the old, like, monitors and stuff and, like, audio equipment from other events and trying to get all those set up just to make sure that everyone can see what's going on at And all everyone times. definitely will. And we get some news reports. So Jerry starts leaning on kind of the news as exposition device a little bit. Mm -hmm. Specifically, two things. One, there's people converting to Christianity all over the place, like we mentioned earlier. Yes. The second thing, though, the reporters are asking all these people, do you think Nikolai Carpathia was divine? And the resounding answer is yes. Yeah, everyone's like, uh, in every sense, I believe it's possible that he was the Messiah the Jews longed for all these centuries, and he was murdering their own nation, just the scripture prophesied. People are absolutely taking sides, like we've said. They're basically just the, the worshiping the Antichrist thing is going to be just a just a gimme, mm -hmm. you know? The news coverage actually quotes Zion ben Judah. Now, Dr. Zion ben Judah said this, and then they start quoting the Bible. So yeah. if you want to start with the Bible verses part. For then there will be um, great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Yeah, that's Matthew 24, 21 through 24. Did you notice the mention of the elect there? Yep, I did. So even, even the ones with the mark can be deceived. Correct. Now, that's going to come into question in the next book. Light spoilers. Okay. We're going we're gonna to roll in there. So we get into chapter 16, and it's fun because it's another Zion Magical Mystery Tour chapter. Mm -hmm. He's watching Kenny, and he's thinking about his dream. And more specifically, he's thinking about this woman. There, she was crowned in stars, and she had the sun or the moon at her feet. And she was giving birth, and there was all this imagery, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now that imagery is pulled directly from Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Do you mind reading that real quick? Yep, it's it's a big it passage, but it's very important. Because I gotcha. This is beat for beat what John of Patmos claims to have witnessed in the okay. book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, the woman and the dragon. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. 
Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So that's a lot. Yes. So that imagery, we're going to recap that a little bit. The woman, the child, the dragon, and the angels. Let's just focus on that. Okay. So you've heard as Gavin read and as Zion saw all of this, and he sees a little bit of a repeat of it, he sees Lucifer fall from heaven or Satan fall from heaven. One of the important things to take away from this is that Zion is trying to actively interpret and he sees an angel and he goes, Hey, Michael. And Michael's like, I'm Gabriel. (laughs) (laughs) You never know which angel you're getting until they clarify. I would assume that Michael being the warrior has like a sword or something. And like the other one has like a megaphone. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a selfie stick. He's doing an IRL stream. (laughs) So this is where Tim both gets very specific, but also kind of fast and loose with the prophecy thing. Yeah. They love Revelation 12 because it kind of unifies their idea of Satan because you heard him called the accuser. Yes. We talked about the Satan, right? We've, We've talked about that earlier. Satan falling to earth. That is believed to be both being cast out of heaven and coming to indwell the Antichrist. Then you also see the woman who is giving birth to the baby with the iron rod in its hand. That's supposed to be Jesus. The woman is supposed to be both Israel and Mary. Yes. Because both of them, in a way, gave birth to Jesus, who will rule over the nations. And so you're hearing a lot of this prophecy stuff meaning two things at once. Zion even asks, is the woman Mary? Is the woman Israel? And Gabriel just goes, Yes. He says something else. He's like, yes and yes, I yeah, think is yeah. what he says. Yes and yes. But it's basically just like you know, chocolate or vanilla. Yes. yes. Gabriel tells him you are seeing eternity, past, present, and future. And it is in metaphor, but also kind of not. Yeah. This is the most frustrating Calvin Ball level of like prophecy is literally bullshit. Yeah. Whatever they want it to be is what it means. Don't at me like there are prophecy people who are going to be like well you just clearly don't know i do yeah and even he's like so these things mean whatever we want or need them to be no they mean what they mean right it, it is such a moment of like tim almost tipping his hand as to what his process is mm-hmm. in terms of interpreting prophecy it means whatever we want it to mean yeah And this is probably in response to criticism, and I guarantee you it is in response to criticism from other eschatologists. Yes. Um, Because from what I understand from other, some of the sources that I have actually talked to personally, uh, Tim LaHaye is not very highly thought of in the 
eschatological community. Really? Uh, yes, he's seen as kind of a flimflam man, kind of a showman. You know, um, like a Dr. Oz. Okay, yeah. You know, okay. Somebody who's just like, I have these credentials and I studied this and I'm about to tell you how uh, eating coffee grounds will uh, take your wrinkles away. <laughs> like, like nobody can deny Dr. Oz, great heart surgeon, total quack and a fraud at everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Come at me, Oz. I'm thinking of Dr. Phil now, too. God, he's a piece of shit too. Yeah, he is. Well, this is not behind the bastards and I'm not Robert Evans, so <laughs> I, I'm not going to tread on his turf. Go listen to him. Yeah. Zion witnesses all this and kind of why I wanted to even bring this up and focus on this is that this really does tip the hand as to how Tim is doing prophecy because it can mean a thousand other things too. Like if we're going to say that it means both of these things, okay, why not five other things? Why not seven other things? Why not 12 other things? Like, see, it breaks down. Like, yeah. the whole prophetic analysis really breaks down when you start to say, oh, it can mean multiple things. Yeah, like where, where everything can become an axiom. Exactly. Almost. Exactly. That is the end of Zion's second little magical trip. But keep in mind that symbolism of the Israel thing, because as it happens in these books, all roads lead to Jerusalem again. Yes. So stay tuned for later books. So we cut back to New Babylon. Um, I thought it was funny that there's people doing street performances. There's jugglers, there's clowns, there's vendors, and there's strippers. Yep. <laughs> Just in the street. I thought I had had enough of the overplayed, like, look at how debaucherous everything is. I, I don't ever get tired of it. It's so fun. Yeah. I'm kind of turning the corner on some of the stuff, especially the preachy stuff of hating it and being annoyed by it and just starting to be like, come on, bring it yeah, on. It, Let's see how, how much of this we can fit in. Especially in like some of these later chapters at this point, like stuff I've criticized in previous episodes. I'm like, this is just par for the course. Just put it on my plate. Like just, a couple servants of whatever you know writing. that you know what I need <laughs> and I just wrote in my notes I think Jerry and Tim might be more than they let on because yeah. every time they have to describe all the sin it's always something just lascivious yeah. in it and sexual you know yeah this wouldn't be a dystopian novel series without just like a little bit of right yeah, yeah, yeah. Ming's family's making their way into New Babylon and Ming tells Annie the GC has identified the Chicago safe house. So big red flag. Uh-oh. Very bad news. Annie and David are both now scrambling to tell the rest of the force, like, y'all got to get out of there. Mm -hmm. And by y'all, it's basically just Zion and Kenny. Yeah. Which is going to lead us into our next section. Ray's still surveying the strong building, but when David tells him the GC are coming, they immediately alert Zion, who starts scrambling to pack. And of course, Chloe is going to talk to him again. Yep. Oh, God. So what has Chloe been researching? Well, uh, as we've covered in the last two sections, Chloe's been researching about the best way that you can quickly kill a baby. Uh, and it turns out it's a, um, according to her, a potassium chloride injection. Yeah, that you do it. You just do it right through the diaper. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be decisive and sure. Just stick him in the butt with some potassium chloride. Um, it's like, oh, it'll be fast. I did a little research. Potassium chloride overdose causes uh, mucosal necrosis and perforation. So this child will bleed out of his mucous membranes until he dies. She didn't say painless. She did say quick, but she didn't say painless. And like, hold on. God, that's awful. 
awful. I hate that. I hate this. This is bad, and I hate this. Because earlier uh, in a in a Nothing Burger uh, Kenny Zion scene, the last thing he said to his mama was, "Love you too. See you later. Bye bye." Oh no, that's that's not good. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I hate it more now. Yeah, I, I hate this more now. I would like to say this is the last baby killing that we do. Oh no, there's, I'm there's pretty more in this book. sure that it is. No, they 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 talk about it again. Yeah. But once we get past this portion, oh, I think no, that's it. I don't remember. Okay. So once we've now thrown the door open on kill the baby, let's just stay tuned, I guess. Yeah, and Zion, of course, is no Chloe for like the last time. I'm not killing your baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so we're back on the jet and man, I wish that Buck knew all this, Yeah, you know, like I wish he was part of this conversation cause it's his kid too. Uh, honey. Um, what, what have you been looking up on the internet? I searched your search. I checked your search history. Yeah. I was, uh, I was going to, to, to buy some pants and, uh, I typed in P and potassium chloride to kill my baby came up. You want to have a little chat about that? <laughs> so speaking of Buck, they're on the jet on the way back to the States and Albie lets him know that he's got a deputy commander GC uniform and a sidearm and a plan to extract Zion. So Albie has been like thinking five steps ahead on this. Once they touch down, he's going to put that plan into action. Yes. Um, Ray's rushing back to the safe house in the Land Rover and Albie calls him and he's like, don't worry, I have a plan. So stick with me. Everything's going to be fine. It is a little weird and that's going to pay off later that Albie all of a sudden has all this stuff and he's got a plan and he kind of wants to take charge. Ray definitely thinks it's weird. But then we move on into chapter 17. So still Buck and Albie, um, they call David and they get a challenge code to authorize Albie. So if they need to get past GC people, David has a fake code in the system for them. They say something again that was said earlier. Every time they talk about the new Babylon crowd, it's like, People of every ethnic background were there. And I just wrote in the margins, wouldn't it be more effective if they say people from all of the nations, maybe? It's very weird that they say ethnic every time. And it almost makes me think like, all right, you're having everybody gather in New Babylon to worship the Antichrist. And they're of all these ethnic backgrounds, almost like somebody in this writing duo might think that's a bad thing. You might think I'm reading too much into this. You know enough by now to know I am not mm-hmm. reading too much into this. So Mac, we haven't heard from Mac in a while. Yeah. Um, starts making calls um, for David to prep Pawaki in order to get the force, um, not only space to land, but they're going to get him a helicopter because the strong building has a helipad. So in terms of moving them into the new safe house, getting them transport, like this cannot happen a moment too soon. And then David makes it to Annie's sector to meet Ming's family Specifically, Mr. Wong, Ming's father. Mm. So, like, when I was listening to the book, um, I just, I texted Shane, and I'm like, this, uh, this Wong guy is probably, like, the worst caricature we've gotten so far. Yeah, okay. So, it's two white guys writing an Asian character. Speaks broken English. Richard Ferone, to his credit, does not lean too much into an accent, but he does in the audiobook just a slight accent. 
I'm going to go ahead and drop this. We are about to switch narrators. Yes. We're going from Richard Ferrone to a guy named Frank Muller, who actually does the narration on one of my favorite series, does it on Dark Tower uh, by Stephen King. And Frank is a voice guy. Yeah. Does a lot of character voices. I want to compare Ferone's performance as Mr. Wong to Frank's when we get there in the mark. But for now, we're just going to say the Mr. Wong stuff is very tough, not just because of the voice itself and the way that he's written, but also because of the content. This guy sucks. Yeah, it's like we're watching like an old... Like a movie from like the 1960s who has like an Asian caricature in it. Uh, I think you mean like Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, basically. yeah, that, that, that's 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 what this is. Ask your grandparents, kids. So Wong is abrasive. He is almost childlike in the fact that he pouts and he throws tantrums. He is very pout. Yeah, he is. He is pout. Yeah demands that David gets them in early and gets them seats. And uh, eventually he's going to make kind of a fool out of himself later, but uh, keep an eye on Mr. Wong. He's going to, he's going to come back in the next book. Mm -hmm. So so when David loads them onto the golf cart, Mr. Wong will not sit in anywhere, but the front seat and refers to it as the seat of honor. And what's, what's the significance of seat of honor playing more into an Asian stereotype? Uh, this guy is obsessed with honor. Oh, uh, okay. Now I'm getting, <laughs> and when it. he refers to the front seat as the seat of honor, I just wrote, okay. <laughs> I, this guy is a lot. So we find out it's 106 degrees outside. Everybody's kind of dragging their feet past the beer, seeing Nikolai's body. And it's almost like they want to be the last people there as the actual memorial service starts so mm-hmm. that they can hang out with the body more. Um, they wrote a Dutch couple in native costume are there. It's a weird inclusion. Like, I guess. Sure. I don't know. It's just, it's bizarre. And he says something. There's a weirdly written line here. David's kind of thinking to himself about like how Dr. Eikenberry has fixed up the body. And he says like, wouldn't it be embarrassing if the real body was cooling in the morgue when the phony one reached its melting point and turned into a pool before the world? This isn't a fake body. Like, I don't, it's, it's a weird line. Like, it seems like almost like Jerry got sidetracked and forgot what he was writing here. Yeah. But the memorial finally begins as we're kind of running toward the end of chapter 17 with the, the new, I assume, newly written hymn, Hail Carpathia, Loving, Divine, and Strong. And I just wrote, is this title bad on purpose? It seems bad on purpose, but at this point, like, they're very bad at writing a dystopian regime. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't like the GC as an antagonistic force. I kind of never have, but this just reminds me how little I like it. Like, I am ready to get the blasphemy turned up a couple of notches because then they'll seem more evil. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like badly written Power Rangers villains. Yeah, they really are. And I just wrote that this is so much like assassins like this last section in these next couple of chapters we're going to read as we're getting toward the end have a lot of that same energy as assassins. Yeah, because we're back at the gallons and uh, have that kind of same energy there. Now something redeems it for me and you all know this is coming, but it's going to get better. I promise. Like this is actually when we're I'm smiling right now because I have not liked this book. Unlike assassins, I have not liked this book up until these last few chapters. So. Yeah, they pull a tribulation force, but they pull, like, their biggest punches at the very end. Yeah, 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 yeah. It actually, 
for me isn't dissimilar to Tribulation Force, but I will probably end up rating it at least a little higher. Yeah. So we get a montage of Carpathia's life, um, very standard funeral stuff. Um, they show not only the death of the witnesses, like the murder, but they also show Nikolai's own murder in the highlight reel, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, and it gets even crazier because the final shot, and you got to imagine this was rendered in like less than three days because mm -hmm. that's all the time they've had, shows the GC helicopter taking Nikolai up away from the stage of the gala, up into the stars and into heaven where he then is just rendered with his arms around the world, just smiling in his suit. And I was like, I think I have seen actual footage of like Christian kids videos of Jesus doing the same thing. This like for me, it reminded me of, cause I listened to like a Scientology, like deep dive with some people that like infiltrated the Scientology and got to watch some of like their videos. This, it kind of reminded me of that almost like, like high level, like sea org. Who were you listening to? Uh, oh, no, Ross and Carey. I was going to say, is it Ono, Ross and Carey? Because, uh, yeah, Ross Watcher and Carrie Poppy of the Ono, Ross and Carey podcast, which you guys should all check out, did an extensive infiltration of Scientology. And it's they like, got stuck in there for too long. Dude, yeah, they went too deep. It's like eight episodes long, I, I think, think. eight or nine, yeah. Yeah, and I think they do some follow-ups later of what Scientology's been trying to do to them since. Oh, no, oh, I need to listen to those. Heck yeah. I think. I'll try to see if I can find them. Okay. Me and Alex listened to that on a road trip, and it was we were wide awake for this, like, 11-hour road trip. Like, oh, my God. Heck yeah. So it's so good. Check it out. So Albie, Buck, Chaim, they all touch down. They check in, kind of getting all their ducks in a row, meeting Ray, ready to speed to the safe house to rescue Zion as we end chapter 17 and begin chapter 18. So Leon begins his speech as David watches. A lot of the speech is just Leon listing his accomplishments and giving us a recap of Nikolai's life and the things that he's done in the book so far. But there is a specific passage that I'd like you to read. How could we have known that our prayers would be answered by the one who would prove his own divinity over and over as he humbly, selflessly served, giving of himself even to the point of death to show us the way to healing? As he finishes this bit, people are eating it up mm -hmm. and David's like, I'm going to be sick. Um, I think it actually says David. Yeah, David was, na was nauseating. Oh, <laughs> I got it right. Back to Ray and company. He says to Albie as they're going toward the, he's like, I don't know if you have subdivisions where you come from. I don't know if like, you know, we, we invent this thing, you know, in the, over in America called states. We're like, we take the big country and break it up into like smaller countries. And then we break them up into smaller things called cities. And then we break them up into smaller things called towns. And then we break them up into smaller things called neighborhood. Are you getting all this? <laughs> do, do you want understand what i'm saying it's so god it's bad albie does take over he basically looks at ray and says look i know what to do here i need you to give me charge of this operation so he orders leah to park about half a mile from the safe house so that they can then walk and get a vantage point and they're going to see if they can infiltrate before the gc gets there David's watching the crowd and with his binoculars and mm. Annie happens to be on the way on the other side with her binoculars and they did a little thing. They, they did a one four three, man. That was so cute. Yeah, because they're, they're staring at each other through like their lenses and uh, they they wave with just their fingers and then like they do the code for I love you. Do you ever one four three anybody in high school? 
when, I, you're, I, when you're texting? I, I don't think I did. No, that was an AOL instant messenger slash like text message thing earlier. Like, you know, with your, with mm-hmm. your high school girlfriends and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 That was a bit after my time. God, I'm dating myself because <laughs> the one is the I and there's four letters in love and there's three letters in you. So one, four, three. Yeah. Oh, that, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? Like, I always love when we get these little, like, vignettes of, like, an actually, like, decent relationship plot. It's only David and Annie. Yep, only still, them. Still just them. I'm going to be sad when, like, one of these characters die. It's going to happen eventually. Why are you smiling at me? <laughs> <laughs> so, Zion is in the shelter prepping with Albie, and uh, they're going to rush out of the house as soon as they hear vehicles. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to hear vehicles. But it doesn't sound like the Land Rover, and it sounds like multiples are showing up. So, uh oh. Back to the funeral. Each of the potentates starts giving their eulogy, and they're all calling for worship of Nikolai. Like, not worship as in like honor this man's memory. Like, nope, worship this man as God. We're we're mask off now. The Indian potentate gets up and says that Nikolai would be reincarnated as a Brahmin, and basically says like. If we believed in that anymore, because yeah. we don't. So he's God now. Yeah. Leon gets in a dig at Christianity and Judaism because he kind of takes the stand again. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's uh, really funny how uh, the only two holdouts in terms of joining the one world faith were uh, the two people that were most responsible for his death because uh, he died in Israel and he got shot by one of these Christian freaks. So uh, he says it much more eloquently. But yeah. He, he blames the Judahites. Um, yeah, specifically, yeah. he blames the Judahites. And as he's speaking, the statue starts to mo- smoke more intensely at the mention of Christians. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, and then potentate Litwawa, the new African potentate, uh, gives his eulogy in a brief but lukewarm fashion. Mm-hmm. And uh, two other ones are also just kind of like, yeah, he was great. Sorry he's dead, I guess. Put a pin in that. Yeah. Chloe Ray and Albie leave the car and they start kind of sneaking through the shadows to get to the safe house. They're kind of going in between buildings and like doing kind of like the crouch run, you know? And then Leon gets to a point in his speech when he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just got a few more remarks. And then he points to the statue and says, this image of Nikolai Carpathia is worthy of your worship. Now worship it. Yep. And he turns his eyes to the camera and he gets that look. And he's just like, hey, everyone, if you if you're around like a screen and uh, if you can see me, look into my eyes. And if you're on if you're watching from home, make sure that you're looking at the screen right now. He's doing a real uh, Kent Copeland. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> real televangelist move, boys. This whole section feels like televangelism. Almost. And I said this to you in a text conversation the other day that the GC and the whole regime and we'll get into more of this in the off the record feels like projection yes because it's about to become a theocracy Mm -hmm. and this is exactly what evangelical christians say that they truly want if you nail them down and you have the conversation of the ideal version of reality that they want to live in it's this but with their god yeah you know so we'll talk more about that on the off the record leon essentially says like no and i'm not asking you to worship it i'm telling you and then the statue starts to speak loudly i am the lord your god who sits high above the heavens i am the god above all other gods there is none like me worship or beware and then fortunato goes uh very soft and father and goes fear not 
lifts your eyes unto the heavens. Nikolai Carpathia loves you and only has your best in mind, charged with the responsibility of ensuring compliance with the worship of your god. I have also been imbued with power. Please stand. Fear not, lift your eyes to the heavens. That is actually from the book of Isaiah. So Leon is quoting a biblical prophet. Mm -hmm. He is actually taking on the role of a prophet. This is new and improved Leon. Yep. This is a Leon like we've ever seen before. He says, those who refuse to worship the image shall surely die. And as he prays, beams of fire fall from the sky and devour the three disloyal potentates. And I just wrote, this is a moment that we've been waiting for and that specifically I have joked with you about mm -hmm. and I told you we were going to get here. This is the Sith Lord moment. Unlimited power! We are doing miracles. And I mentioned in here, and we talked about this too off mic, he is channeling Old Testament prophets, almost specifically the prophet Elijah, when Elijah called down fire from heaven in the God-off competition between him and the priests of Baal and Ashara mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. He says, worship your God, your dead and living king. Yes. Ray and the other two are getting closer to the house, and Ray starts getting paranoid about Albie as we move into chapter 19. So people all over are crying out and praying to Carpathia. And I just wrote, no, nobody thinks this is a trick. Like, I guess not at this point. It goes back to like, I, everybody in the world has PTSD. Yeah, everyone, so they're just down for anything. Yeah, everyone's so traumatized that they're like willing to like, all right, flame and statue, man. I guess this is our God now. Sure, man. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Leon does kind of a real flex. He sweeps the ashes off the seats with his hands of the potentates and then wipes his hands and then just starts joking with the other <laughs> potentates like these guys am i right so back to ray he sees three sets of headlights show up in the distance right as he chloe and albie make it to the house and he starts making plans to take out albie if he needs to he's yeah like, i don't know about this guy I thought I trusted him, but suddenly I don't because I'm Rayford Steele and I don't trust anybody. <laughs> so GC soldiers start jumping out of their Jeeps and he's like, oh no, Albie once told me never to trust anyone. Not even him. It's a very like Ray just got done reading part of Game of Thrones and was mm -hmm. like, remember when that one guy said, don't trust me and I shouldn't have trusted him. I think I'm in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> Albie calls out the GC soldiers, addresses them by his rank and has just completely blown their cover, and Ray starts to panic. Yeah. So back to the funeral. The statue starts moving and glowing red hot. The sky goes dark. This is the part that I was talking about. This is what I'm here for. Lightning starts striking the ground all around the perimeter. Like, people are trying to run, and, like, lightning is just stopping them. Flee not! Defy me at your peril! Yeah, the statue is screaming at these people, which is so <laughs> cool <laughs> they're running around they're getting struck by lightning this is and like yeah this is very old testament god ish yeah i wrote in here that so the nikolai statue is literally just behaving like the old testament god that the christians love yeah which is a fun little contradiction because remember it's fine when it's our guy but anybody else does it and it's from the pit of hell yeah this is the worst thing ever um and it's funny that that contradiction is not more examined mm -hmm. i guess like, no character questions it. I really wish that someone in the force would say something about this. Yeah. And is it the statue or is it Leon that says, gaze not upon me, but upon your Lord uh, God? That's, that's the statue. Okay, basically the statue, like, points down to the coffin and says, gaze not upon me, but on your Lord God. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, back to the safe house. Albie gets the leader of the GC guys to like come meet him around the side and they kind of have a little tete-a-tete with each other. This is a this is probably one of my favorite little mundane-esque scenes. Yeah, what'd the, you like about it? I it kind of felt like it was very clever. It, there's like a few pages of setup where the guys like saying, like, what time is it here? Okay, do you know what that means of like time zones and stuff? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And the guy's not getting it. At first, the reader probably wouldn't get, all right, what is Albie doing here? Albie is playing upon every GC goon's worst fear, and it is the fear of f***ing up and getting in trouble. Yes. So Albie basically is like, soldier, you tried to call this into New Babylon that you found this house. What time is it in New Babylon right now? Uh, it's probably about 1.30. Yeah, what goes on at 1.30? Oh, oh, you're right. Because he realizes that it's the funeral. Yeah, and they and they had ordered that during Carpathia's funeral, no combat um could be done anywhere in the world. Correct. Now, did they say that earlier? I don't, I don't remember that being did. set up at all. No, I, yeah. Because I think if neither of us noticed it, like that may not have been set up. But Albie basically says like, look, I won't put it on your record. Just get out of here. I'm going to handle this personally me and my team, and he points back to Chloe and Ray. Yeah, and he even takes him aside from, like, the rest of his crew. He's like, hey, I'm not going to embarrass you in front of the rest of your guys. Like, he does it like, like, he, how you said, it's like every GC officer's worst fear. So he's being like, hey, man, I know you're afraid of, like, of, like messing up, and I'm here to, like, really just, like, help you out, but give you a stern talking to. Yeah. So I guess that's why I really like it. So Albie's ruse works completely, and we're back at the funeral. David is frantically searching the scene for Annie, but he can't find her. Suddenly, the body in the coffin starts to move. <laughs> Carpathia, like, shoves the plexiglass lid of the coffin, like, bolts and all. Everything comes undone, flips it over, and just stands up looking pristine, hair perfectly quaffed, his tie in place, teeth glistening, and looks at everyone and just says, Peace. Be still. And then the sun comes out again. Oh, it's wonderful. And now peace be still, another word of Jesus, which is what he told the storm on the Sea of Galilee when he calmed the sea. The, the, like the next few pages are just like, top Jesus hits. Yep. Because he's back. <laughs> Nikolai's back, everybody. Yep, and he's he's just back, baby. And he's just quoting, let, let's see, he'll like, do you still tremble? Are you still sore, afraid? Fear not. I bring you good tidings and great cho um, joy. It is I who loves you. You need never fear me, for you are my friends. Only my enemies need fear. Why are you fearful, oh, you little faith? Yeah, Come specifically, yeah. that's coming from John 14, um, which is when Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection. So, but like you said, lots of greatest hits Bible quotes stuff here. But then he says something that's very un-Jesus-like. Come and let me speak to you about my enemies. And so Zion is praying in the, in the cellar. He hears Albie. Everybody's reuniting down in the cellar. Like, okay, cool. Oh, great. You're safe. But we got to go. They flip the power back on just in time to see the TV. Nikolai addresses the crowd and says, look, you all know me as a loving and forgiving potentate. But we're going to have some changes around here, starting with a program of loyalty confirmation. <gasps> I wonder what form that might take. I don't know. It'd be a, a really easy identifier. Yeah, either on your, like, forehead. Show that everybody's loyal. Yeah, you could have, like, a mark on your forehead or, like, wrist or something. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That seems like a good idea. Yeah. Let's bring it on home. Chapter 20. 
who should give Rayford a call but Hattie Durham? And she's like, get out of the safe house. By the way, Carpathia's back from the dead. <laughs> Ray's like, one, doing that already. Two, knew that. Oh, by the way, uh, come to Jesus. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Which the Hattie stuff is going to feed into stuff that happens in the mark. Yeah, so we're going to see Hattie again. She's the only one left on the undecided. Oh, yeah, she is the only holdout now, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. Um, so now Viv Ivans joins Leon and Nikolai on the procession as it goes across the platform. So now we have kind of a weird trinity up there with Viv and Leon and Nikolai. The procession's going across the platform. David estimates that it would take 224 hour days for them to greet everybody, but clearly the guards aren't going to let that happen. Yeah. Ray finally has had enough of his paranoia and he challenges Albie. He's like, look, let me check your mark. And Albie's like, dude, after everything I've done for you, you're going to do this? Yeah. And they make some kind of big deal. And I don't think this is accurate. I may be wrong and feel free to correct me but about something about implying that you don't trust a Middle Eastern man as like the biggest insult. Mm-hmm. And so, which I, again, I don't know if that's accurate, but Albie literally bucks up to him and hands Ray his gun and goes, you don't trust me? Then shoot me. You won't. He calls Ray a multiple times in both this book and the next one. Yeah. Call, I think he refers to his leadership style as simpering. I think, yeah. Albie's cool, and Albie flexes hard on Ray. <laughs> the virgin Rayford Steele in the Chad The Albie. Chad Albie. <laughs> um, so David rushes out looking for Annie, and as he's trying to bolt away, Mr. Wong's like, no, you can't leave, and David basically tells him to fuck off. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of Buck um, that he is just beat to hell and watching news coverage of the resurrection, we find out Buck is now 33. Oh. Which, you know, same age of Jesus when he died. Hmm. Do not take that as an implication of anything. Um, the chopper has finally been delivered to Paul Walkie. They're going to make their way out of the safe house to the airport so they can chopper to the strong building and set up in their new fortress that they have, uh, the new tribulation fortress. <laughs> Get out of here. Would you be a little bit surprised at all if they called it that? No, I don't think they do, but they already already call it the strong building. (laughs) We've gone two episodes, now three, and haven't called out the fact that they just called the big fortress building they're going to live in strong building. It looks pretty strong. We just call it strong building. We could have called it big building, safe building, strong building. Yeah. And they make ready to set the safe house to the torch and erase all evidence they were ever there. So David is panicking. He can't reach Annie. Um, He starts talking to Ray over the phone as everybody's still freaking out as this is all happening. Their next priorities are to get everybody into the strong building, get Zion broadcasting again. And then he mentions, hey, let me tell you about this thing I saw in Viv Ivan's office with these numbers. Mm -hmm. Leave that for the next book. Okay. And as we close it out, the news camera moves in on Nikolai. He looks directly into the camera lens. My dear subjects, we have together endured quite a week, have we not? I was deeply touched by the millions of you who made the effort to come to New Babylon for what turned out to be, gratefully, not my funeral. The outpouring of emotion was no less encouraging for me. As you know, and as I have said, there remain small pockets of resistance to our cause of peace and harmony. There are even those who have made a career of saying the most hurtful, blasphemous, and false statements about me, using terms for me that no person would ever want to be called. I believe you will agree that I prove today who I am and who I am not. You will do well to follow your heads and your hearts and continue to follow me. 
You know what you saw, and your eyes do not lie. I am also eager to welcome into the One World Fold any former devotees of the radical fringe who have become convinced that I am not the enemy. On the contrary, I may be the very object of the devotion of their own religion, and I pray they will not close their minds to that possibility. In closing, let me speak directly to the opposition. I have always, without rancor or acrimony, allowed divergent views. There are those among you, however, who have referred overtly to me personally as the Antichrist and this period of history as the Tribulation. You may take the following as my personal pledge. If you insist on continuing with your subversive attacks on my character and on the world harmony I have worked so hard to engender, the word tribulation will not begin to describe what is in store for you. If the last three and a half years are your idea of a tribulation, wait until you endure the great tribulation. <laughs> Man, that's a good ending. It I gotta is. say, I, I didn't love this one, but that was a really good ending. I. That was great. And we end on an epilogue that we already heard from Revelation chapter 12, verse 2. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Satan is real, boys. Man, oh man. So, Gav, what'd you think of the indwelling? It, it dragged towards the middle. Uh, I'll probably get into the, like, it wasn't as bad as Tribulation Force, but it had some of the same shortcomings as Tribulation Force. So I'll get more into that in the off the record, but had some great moments. Uh, I, I can't wait for them to expand upon later books. Um, that ending, though, yeah. huh? Yeah, that, that <laughs> ending, like, that. that's probably one of the be- better endings that we've had so far. It really is. I am excited to move forward into some of these other books, um, specifically as the despotism of new Satan Nikolai continues to increase and become more vile and more disgusting Mm -hmm. as the great tribulation drags on and there's a whole lot in store for not only our old force members but our brand new ones too but i can't say anything about it because that's all spoilers and we gotta wrap it up so thank you guys for coming with us through book seven and uh you can look forward next time to our off the record where we'll give it a rating this has been i survived the rapture i'm shane bazell and i'm gavin russell and until next time fear not for he is risen he is risen indeed bye bye Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the IndieSource Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSource.com and check out the IndieSource Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening. He can help you and leave.